Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're currently walking verse by verse through the book of 1 John. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Amen. You may be seated. We're glad you're here today um, to worship with us. My name's Tom. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope. That may shock some of you. Some of you have never seen me before, which... Anyway, since the first of the year, we've been walking on and off through a book, the book of 1 John, and we're actually going to close it out today. They brought in the closer. (laughs) Baseball terms, we're going to close this thing out. I wasn't looking for that. I'm just telling you we're closing the book. That's all I'm telling you. Uh, So if you want to go ahead and turn there, if you brought your Bible or your iPad or your whatever iPhone, Uh, Turn to the book of 1 John. We're going to be looking, honestly, at the last four verses of the chapter. uh, And then we're going to start our new series next week. While you're looking for that, let me say a couple things about uh, next week. Um, Our service times are going to change next week. Everybody, does that make sense? Some of you come to all the services, so that's not a problem. You're not going to miss anything. But for most of you who don't, I don't want you walking in in the middle. Not that it'll, you know, mess us up because we're just going to keep trucking but the reason is because I don't, I don't want you to miss the service, okay? So make sure that you got the service times down, 8.15, 9.45, 11.30 for next week. Um, also, uh, we start our new uh, series you, you heard just a minute ago called Love Life. Please take those cards that are in the seats and take them to a friend and invite them for next week. Now, saying all that, uh, not only am I closing out the series of what we should know as believers and what God wants us to know, what John wanted his his, uh, the, the church to whom he was writing to know, I'm actually closing out the book. So there's a lot of closing going on today. All right. And I just want to go back and kind of rehash a couple of the things that we talked about over the past six, seven, eight months. Uh, the first series that we did, we talked about the, the first series was called the believer's walk. We talked about what being a child of God is supposed to be lived like. What's that supposed to look like? We talked about how sin affects us, how we're going to love each other, uh, how we obey God, as well as our relationships with those in and outside the faith, what that should look like. Uh, it was all about how we should live day by day in response to all those things. Uh, Then the next series, we talked about living in the last days. We talked about the end times. We talked about, oh, the Antichrist. And we also talked about the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in that series. Uh, Then we taught some uh, standalone series where we really didn't put it into a a series per se. But we talked about our relationship to sin. We talked about testing the spirits that claim to be from God. Recognizing and embracing God's love for us. On and on and on. We talked about how to love one another in the next series. And then the the series before this one, we talked about how much God loves us. And man, you know, for me, even though I've read that before, and I'm sure you have too, man, was that deep. Um, Recognizing how much God loves us really changes how we perceive him. And our love for him, I don't want to go into the whole sermon here. I'm about to though. Uh really is dictated by how much we understand that he loves us. Now, we're going to close it up today, but we're talking about what 
Um, we need to know as followers of Jesus what that thing was we need to know. Now, before I start, I didn't do this in the last service, but I felt like I, I should have as I thought through some things. Um, when we talk about knowing something, there are two different ways we can see that in English. We can either talk about knowing about something, right? Like I know about people. I, I may know some facts about people. I may get some inkling about people, but I don't know every person in the world. But I know my wife, okay? I know my kids. I know my friends, the ones I'm really close to. When we talk about knowing here, we're not talking about knowing about something. Listen to me close. There are tons of people in this world that know about Jesus. They can answer all the questions right, Jerry. But we're not talking about knowing about a person. We're not talking about knowing about God. I'm, listen, here's what we're talking about. We know God. And these last things that he talks about here, the first two we, we've talked about already the last couple of weeks, Pastor Vance told us about what it meant to know that we have eternal life. And listen, being able to, to securely say, I am a child of God, I don't know anything else that's more secure in our relationship with God than that. I mean, if I were to tape myself walking throughout the week, and if I were to go back and look at some of those tapes, I'd begin to wonder sometimes if what I said or what I thought, if everything was taped, if I really knew God. But it's not based on my insecurities or my feelings. It's based on what the Bible says about who God is and about what he's done for us. So I'm secure in my eternal life. The second thing, and last week, Pastor uh, Vance, now I know that sounds arrogant, and it's true, I'm kind of an arrogant person. I don't mean to be. Getting married helped me. <laughs> for sure. Just taking a, you know, knock some stuff off there. But, but the truth is, is that, listen, this isn't arrogance. We talk about knowing that we're secure in our faith and knowing that God answers prayers. I don't know if it matters if I pray or not. That's not what we talked about last week. What we said last week was that praying what God prays or the, the prayer that starts in heaven gets back to heaven. In other words, when we pray for people, for, for instance, to be saved, that God answers prayer. I don't know if it matters. Then you don't understand God or his, how prayer functions in that. So he said, I want you to know that God answers prayer. I want you to know about eternal life. And today, we're going to look at three. I don't know how that happened. That I have to preach three. They gave it to the right guy, though. Because I'm going to preach three, but you got to listen fast because I'm a fast talker. All right? In a good way. Okay. Today we're going to conclude with these last three things. Uh, and here they are. The first thing is there is uh, uh, knowledge that we can have that we are victorious over sin. We can know victory over sin. The second, I'm going to give them to you up front. The second thing is, is we can know to whom we belong. In other words, who is God to us, that we belong to him? And then lastly, we're going to talk about today that which is absolutely true. We can know what absolute truth is. I know our world says there's no such thing as absolute truth, but that's a lie. That statement in itself is absolute truth, okay? So we know that there's absolute truth, and the Bible tells us that it's in his son, Jesus. So let's look, let's look at them one by one. I'm going to read the verses as I go through each point. Uh, instead of reading it all at the beginning. Uh, first point, we can know victory over sin. What does God want us to know here in these, uh, uh, the, the, uh, out of these last three things that we can have victory over sin? Look at verse 18. The Bible says, we know that no one who is born of God sins. Wow. Like that's, 
That's pretty heavy, all right? But look what else he says. He said, but he who was born of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. How incredible would it be? Not only do we know that we have eternal life and not only do we know that God answers prayer, but how awesome is it that we can also know that we have victory over sin? That we, listen, have victory over sin. Like we possess it at this moment. Well, how can we know that exactly? Well, well, like I said, this is not knowing about how to have victory. Well, Tom, could you tell me how, you know, like what does the Bible say about how we, I could have victory over sin? Or, no, 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 listen, listen, listen. You do have victory over sin in the person of Jesus Christ today. We can know it, okay? Not, not know about, but we can actually know it. And listen, this know is I know it today, and then I know it tomorrow, and then I can know it again. It isn't know, and I go back to 1980 and, you know, 1970-whatever, or 2001, and man, I knew it then, but I'm just not sure. Here's the deal. This word know means to not only know then, but it means ongoing results that I'm still knowing it. Present tense, today, you can know it today. Here's what he says. He says, we know that no one who is born of God sins. Now, this is not the first time that this has been said in this book. In chapter 3, verse 9, I'm just going to read it for you. He starts out, John says, no one who is born of God practices sin. That sounds like almost the same thing, doesn't it, to you, right? Well, this is odd. This is strange. Why would... This be written like this. This doesn't look good. This doesn't like, and the reason I know this doesn't look good is because I know me. (laughs) Wait a minute. I claim to be a child of God, but I still sin. And the Bible says here that those who know God, they don't sin. Doesn't that look odd? Well, Pastor Travis, back in May, he actually preached these verses in chapter 3. And in that message, what he told us was, is when we read these messages, we tend to think that John was saying that if someone is truly a believer, then he or she will never sin. And we know this is not true. In fact, we know that because of how this is written, that John meant continuing in sin or living in an ongoing and continual lifestyle of sin. And here's, here's exactly the definition that Pastor Travis gave that day of what lifestyle of sin means. Okay. Lifestyle of sin is habitually embracing a way of living that is in defiance to God and his commands. We tend to allow our flesh to believe that sinning is just typical of the human experience. You see, the first reason that we know we can have victory over sin, according to these verses, is because we don't continually live in a lifestyle of sin. Listen, if you are confused, if you are in the faith or not, all you got to do is look how you live your life. What you say, how you think, how you react, how you act. This continual, habitual living in a lifestyle of sin will make you not know if you're in the faith or not. Is anybody out there? Because I could have swore I heard crickets. Listen, it's a tough teaching, even here. But one of the main reasons that we are not confident in the faith that we have. And, when I, and listen, I say we because I'm you. It's because when we choose to sin, as followers, we actually can choose to sin. It makes us believe that there's a possibility that maybe I didn't accept Jesus at all. 
He wants us to have victory over sin. And the reason that we can have victory over sin is by not living that lifestyle. Now, I'm not talking about legalism. You know, if you cross all the T's and dot all the I's and do all the thing and dun, 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 you know, and all the good stuff we're supposed to do and be. And I'm so nice. But to be honest with you, when I get home, I just cuss like a sailor and treat and kick the cat. And I, you know, listen, you know you. And you don't know this, but other people know you too. (laughs) Habitually embracing a way of living that is in defiance to God and his commands. You know, people would say, well, Tom, I... I mean, I think I do it. If, if I think sinning, then I must sin. If I think about it, I got to do it. After all, Jesus will forgive me. And this is a typical human expression of why we sin. But John wrote in 1 John 1, excuse me, 1 John 2, chapter, uh, 1 John 2, chapter, 1 John 2, 1, 2. There's too many ones and twos. When a person becomes a follower of Jesus, there's now a choice of whether he sins or not. And I don't want you to mishear me here. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. You won't have that until Jesus comes back and grabs you and takes you with him. Not sinless perfection, but sinning less. There's a difference. As believers, we can choose not to sin. We don't believe that. But according to 1 John... It's the truth. Jesus' death on the cross takes one, the person that surrenders to Christ, places their faith in him, repents of sin from death to life. You were dead in your trespasses, Paul writes, in in your trespasses and sins, but now you've been made alive to him. D. Edmund Hebert says this. He says, the born-again believer's new birth was not a passing experience. Oh, I got saved when I was, you know, I gave my life to Christ at that time and that point, and I just don't know where I am now. He, he goes on and says, but the imparted new life continues to produce spiritual change in him. And it's because of this new life that, that's continually being changed, we now have victory over sin. And we all know what victory is. It is defeating an enemy or an opponent. And here's what I found out of my life, okay? Here's what it looks like in mind, just to be transparent with you. Sometimes it's two steps forward and three steps back. Is it just me? But sometimes it's four steps forwards and no steps back. And here's what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to let him live through me. And then some days I fail. But God knew that anyway because he said I was but dust. And he doesn't really expect anything out of dust. So who's the opponent? Sin, evil, our own flesh. Our victory's not attainable in our own effort. We cannot get, listen, we can't do enough to get to God. He came to us. And when he came, his entire reason for coming, think about it, was to defeat sin. So that he could have relationship with us. And he accomplished it. Defeating sin gives the victory that we needed. By victory, I don't just mean eternity. I'm talking about victory here and now. Like, we don't live like we're winners Just looking for one amen. Amen. Thank you. We live like a bunch of losers. But listen, we're on the winning team, guys. Jesus did everything necessary. That's why I hate religion and love my faith. Religion says I got to get to God, but Jesus came to us. 
man, we're here today, some of us, because, you know, what if mom asks? Or what if, you know, I mean, this is the thing I got to do. No, 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 you're here today because you want to know him better to, so that he can change you. This lifestyle of sin is not good when it comes to the believer. We can know victory because we don't have to live a lifestyle of sin. But the second thing, we can also know victory over sin because God keeps us. In that same verse, he says this. He says, but he who is born of God keeps him. Now, I want you to now there's some semantics going on here. And the translation was very difficult in this, at this point to, to make it work for English. So let me try to explain it and cut it down for you. Um, at the very uh, first part of the verse, he talks about the one who is born sins. You see that? The one who is born of God sins. No one who is born of God sins. Then he says, but he who was born of God keeps him. He uses kind of the same lingo, if you will, the same phrases that are there, except for one, one word that's different. Instead of is, he uses was. The one who is doesn't sin, right? But the one who was born of God, he says. Who's he talking about? Like all these pronouns can mess you up sometimes. You know, he and him and, you know, the thing. And let me break it down for you. In the first one, when he uses the present tense being verb is, he said, though, no one who is born of God sins. He's, it's, it, it, it's written in a way to say that, that, that this one thing happened at one time, salvation, okay? And that even though it happened one time, there were some ongoing effects in it. It, it. it was me in 1980, August 17, 1980, when I gave my life to Jesus and he saved me that day. Guess what? I'm still the same as I was that day as it comes to my salvation. Like what happened that day is not something that was ever going to change somewhere out here. Make sense? It had ongoing effects. But when he says the one who was born of God, was he still, is he still talking about me? Because in the first verse, he's talking about us. In the first phrase, he's talking about us. In the second phrase, he's talking about Jesus. Because he said the one that was born keeps him. The one that was born of God. That's a past tense verb that says at one place, at one time, in their language, at one place, at one time, this happened. Jesus was born once, and that's all he ever had to be born. They didn't need to be born again. Jesus wasn't lost. Jesus didn't need to become a man again. Jesus was born, and the Bible says that one who was born of God now keeps him. Who's the him? Us. The one who is not supposed to sin anymore, habitually, right, is kept by the one who was born from God, from the beginning, so that we could be kept by him. Jesus doesn't need to be kept. If you read this, sometimes you can think that he's talking about Jesus keeping himself, but Jesus is not keeping himself. He didn't need to be kept. He's God. We needed to be kept, and he kept us. We know victory over sin because he keeps us. He protects us. He, listen, my dad did a great job. My parents did a great job protecting me. I'm telling you, they would... They made sure, you know, I didn't like it when I stood on that hill and I saw my friends riding down, you know, the road on the pavement on their bicycles and I had to stay in the yard. Some of y'all know. Some of y'all's parents didn't care, but <laughs> mine did. I'm still mad about it because I really wanted them to care less. They took care of me, but I'm telling you, nobody takes care, better care of us than God. He keeps us. He watches. He protects. David Smith says this. He says, our security is not a, our grip on Christ. It's his grip on us. 
<laughs> that's something to shout about. I mean, that is something for us to be confident in. That is something that we should know. This word keeps mean that not, not only does he protect us, but it's continual. In fact, Psalm 121 says that. It says that our God does not sleep, nor does he slumber. The, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He'll keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out or your coming in from this time forth and forever. We can know victory over sin because God is our keeper. He is our security. He is our protector. Listen, sin's not bigger than God. God can keep us. We also can know victory over sin. The third thing he says in this same verse, because we can't be touched by the devil. Listen, if we're kept by God, we can't be touched by the devil. He says, and the evil one does not touch him. This word touch is a word that denotes the inability to make contact, literal physical contact to cause harm. Now in this verb, there's great meaning. The evil one would love to lay hands on you, but he can't. For those of you who are in the faith, did you hear the nuance there? For those of us who are children of God, I'm telling you, I would like to have seen somebody in Walmart try to grab me and give me a whipping in front of my dad. My daddy would have come unglued. Nobody could touch me. My dad is my protector. Somebody from the outside who wants to can't. Same thing in our faith. Our father is our protector. And even though the devil, and actually it's written in a way that says the devil Listen, people say, well, you know, the devil made me do it, the devil's on me, or, you know, whatever. Okay, we can use those excuses all day long, and I'm not saying he's not real because he is real. I'm not giving him props at all. I'm telling you he's real. But I'm telling you this, God is your protector. He can't touch you unless God says yes. He He is unable to even do so. But it don't mean he's not trying. Oh, he wants to. It's written in a way that says he's continually trying to touch you in a way that is harmful to you. I mean, how does Peter say it? He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour, right? That don't sound nice to me. And I've seen some sweet kitty cats, but that just that doesn't sound like it. We can have victory over sin because he can't touch us. He is trying. James Morgan says this. He says, ruined himself, talking about the devil. His whole purpose and effort is to ruin others. Wickedness is the element in which he lives and delights. Does he tempt? Sure he does. But it's our choice to sin. We can have victory over sin by understanding that the devil can't control our lives. We are protected by God from the devil. Another way to say this is that sin does not sway in your life. Sin is not your go-to. You are sensitive to that which is sin. And so the devil has no influence in your life. The devil cannot make you do it. Don't ever say that again. As a Christian, we choose to do it. He cannot touch us. So the three takeaways just in this little section. Because that was all point number one. Aren't you happy? The three takeaways I want you to see here are going to be up here on the screen. For the child of God, a lifestyle of righteousness or sin is a choice. We don't have to continually live in sin. Number two, for the child of God, our sensitivity to sin is wrapped up in our relationship with God. God has hold of us. 
My daily relationship with Jesus guards my life from sin, attempting to destroy my life and my relationship with other people. My dependence on him offers the security and the protection that I need. And then last, number three, for the child of God, the devil does not control us in any way. Not in any way. Not any way, shape, or form. Evil's persistence to enslave us is weaker than God's unending persistence to keep me. Well, I had two this service. Amen. Listen, the devil is not stronger than God. Let's don't put him even at equal. God has us. The reason that we can be confident is because he has us and the devil cannot ever have us. So we can know victory over sin. We must live in victory to have the life God wants for us. Number two, we can know also in verse 19 that we belong to God. Look at verse 19. The Bible says, we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. I want you to look at this verse and I want you to kind of see two contrasting things here, okay? I want you to, the first part is there are those who belong to God and then the second part is there are those who don't belong to God. And there's really only two kinds of people in the world. Well, that's not true, Tom. I mean, listen, you, you've heard people on TV or, you know, Hollywood movie stars. They like to say it all the time. You know, we're just all children of God. No, we're not. No, we aren't. Not because I don't want it or I do want it, but because that's what the Bible says. We were all created by God. Just say that. But here's the deal. We are not all children of God. In fact, Jesus goes so far as to say that some are children of the devil. He says it here, John does, in so many words, that the world is in the power of the evil one. But we, we are of God. John MacArthur says this. He says, it's, com- it's a comforting privilege. Now, now listen to this. For the child of God to know they belong to God. Though they exist in this world, they are not part of it. They are children of God, aliens and strangers whose citizenship is in heaven. We are his. The, the, the main reason we know this and the whole reason we said we belong to God is it says we are, look what it says here, of God. That little bitty word with two letters is such a strong, powerful word. That word means to belong. It means to originate from, to come from. I get people sometimes, and my wife and I, uh, we have uh, five kids and um, Every time we go back home to Tennessee, which you probably didn't know I was from there. You probably can't tell. <laughs> Lost all accent <laughs> since I moved here seven years ago. Um, what was I saying? <laughs> oh, yeah. When, you, when I go back home, people say, oh, I know who those kids are. That's Tommy's kids right there. Right? They look like me. I don't want to go into the whole DNA thing, but you know what I'm saying? Here's the deal. We originate from him. We should look a lot like him. And one of the reasons we struggle in the confidence that we have for him is because we don't, maybe. But here's what I can tell you. Whether you realize it or not, because of how you live your life every day, if you gave your life to Christ, here's what happened. If you asked forgiveness, he gave it. If you repented, he listened. And you're his. And you need to live like you are his. We belong to God. 
But he says the whole world, it lies in the power of the devil. We are of God. We are controlled by God. We love what he loves. We, we hate what he hates. And sometimes we get confused about what that looks like. The world, though, is, in the, is under the power, according to John, of the evil one. We are not. We are not under the power of the evil one. He's more powerful than us. But I'm telling you, our God is more powerful than him. Live like we belong to him. John wanted us to know that we can have victory over sin. He wanted us to know that we belong to God. And listen, he also wanted us to know this last truth, that we can know what is true. Now, when I say we can know what is true, let me explain here for just a second. The whole impetus for this book winds down to these last few verses where it really gives us some insight on what John, or why John wrote what he wrote. You see, this book wasn't written just so that we'd have some awesome truths to be able to teach. Even though that was part of it, the Holy Spirit wanted us to be able to teach these things. Wanted us to be able to know these things. Wanted us to have confidence in these things. But from John's perspective, the reason he wrote the book was because that church was going through some terrible stuff. In fact, the people, and I said this the last time I preached back, I think it was back in March, uh, that these people had left because, listen to this, because... They had started to believe, half the church had started to believe that Jesus wasn't God. That what they had been taught by John when he started that church was a lie. And it was brainwashing. And it was him trying to get them to do something. And so they left the ones who were still there. And the ones who were still there actually wrote John this letter and said, John, you're not going to believe it. Some of these people left. And here's why they left. They said that Jesus wasn't God. John opens up the letter and he pins this letter back to them. And look at what he writes in verse 20. He said, we know that the Son of God has come. In other words, everything I told you about Jesus, he's come. He's given us understanding that we may know him who is true. He's told us about the Father. And then he says, and we are in him who is true. In who? In his Son, Jesus Christ. We are in him. Then he says this. This is the true God and eternal life. Let me say this if you hear nothing else today. I want you to hear this one truth. Jesus Christ is God. I, listen, I know that's tough for some people. You know, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought Jesus Christ was the son of God. He is. But here's the deal. He's also God. How do we know that? Second person of the Trinity. Jesus Christ, who was just like the Father and the Holy Spirit, left his place in heaven, came down, put on skin for us so that he could die, so that we wouldn't have to, to take away sin, to give relationship. And here's what he said. This is the true God. Here's the deal. I know, and I said it just a minute ago, people say there is no such thing as absolute truth, but there is. And the absolute truth is found in the pages of the Scripture, but in the person of Jesus Christ. He is God who died for our sin that we could have, what he said in the last part, eternal life. He wants to give us, yeah, amen. He doesn't just want us to know we have eternal life. He wants us to know everything we've been taught in this book is true. And I'm not talking about just 1 John. You ever sit back and wonder, I wonder if what I'm believing is true. Like, am I nuts or something? Like, am I going crazy? Have I, like, have I drunk the Kool-Aid? Have I been following people who are... Uh, listen, the Holy Spirit inside of you 
identifies with this. We will look crazy to people. I already know. You go back to who you were. The world will love you. If you can cozy up. And listen, I, I, I seek to have friendships with people who don't know Christ. I'm not telling you not to. In fact, that's the whole reason God left us here. I got a sneaking suspicion. So that we can be a witness for those who don't know him. But it's okay. They hated him. They'll hate us too. And that's not bleeding heart, whatever. I'm, you know. But it's reality. The only way you'll be able to live this life, you go through the whole book and you look at these last five things we've talked about. In confidence, in knowing that what God wants us to know is all right and true. Is if you know him. Does God answer prayer? Absolutely. Does he give eternal life? Absolutely. Do we have victory over sin? You better believe it. Are we, do we belong to him? Are you kidding me? Absolutely. But we also need to know that what we believe is true. And the people that he was writing to needed to hear this maybe worse than we do. Because they had thought the same thing. Why did they leave? They stuck around and they said, John, tell us that what we believe is true. And John said, what you believe is true. He is God. Everything that I wrote is true. You can have eternal life. And then, it looks like John went to the refrigerator and came back and wrote verse 21. <laughs> Turns out he didn't. Because they didn't have refrigerators. Just kidding. Okay. <clears throat> Turns out, Verse 21 fits perfectly with verse 20. He said, this man, Jesus Christ, is the true God, right? And eternal life is found in him. Not just paraphrased all that, but that's what he said. And then he says in verse 21, little children, guard yourselves from idols. He wasn't talking to the kids in the room. He wasn't talking to the, you know, the seven-year-olds. He was talking to the people that he had won to Christ and started the church, this church, and he said, guard yourselves from idols. Why would he say, guard yourselves from idols? He said it because he had just said, this is the true God. Idols are anything that you make God. Hope is a great church. But hope is not God. Vance Pittman, one of the best, if not the best. Not God. Your granddaddy, your grandmama who were faithful and not God. Your money, your house, your boat, your whatever, your this, name it. Name it, name it, name it. Not God. There is one true God. And he said, I want you to follow him and I want you to stay on it. That's what he was telling this church. And if there's anything that we do outside of knowing that this one true God. So here's, what I, here's the questions I got for you today. I got really five questions that I want to talk about or, or ask you. Do you know, do you know, do you believe that you have eternal life? Now, we've asked this for the last couple of weeks, and we've begged you, if you are not a follower of Jesus, to give your life to Christ. But do you know that? Here's the deal. If you don't know that, you can. Secondly, are you confident that praying matters or that it works? And can I just tell you, God uses our prayers. I don't know how the, I don't know the economy of what that looks like necessarily. I just know that God answers the prayers of his people. Do you believe that? 
Thirdly, do you believe that you can have victory over sin? Listen, I know you can because of what he just wrote. Victory over sin is not just possible. It's the reason Jesus came, to get rid of it and out of our lives. No need for us to hang on to it. Number four, do you know that you belong to him? Or do you belong to him at all? It's more than just eternal life in the future. It's today. Do I belong to him presently today? And then last, the last thing he told us he wanted us to know was have we surrendered to what the truth really is? Do we believe the truth like God has told us the truth really is? Yesterday, I celebrated my 49th birthday. Now, hang on, hang on. I'm glad about it myself. Because the alternative is not celebrating it. (laughs) Though, heaven's better, I'm grateful for God keeping me healthy. Well, kind of. But when you get, like... For those of you who are around my age, you start to do this. You start to go, wait a minute, I'm 50 next year. Oh, my. I need a chair. (laughs) 50? Like, I'm close to retirement. I thought people who were 50 were, like, almost dead. (laughs) Turns out they're healthy people. Vibrant, life-giving. But let me tell you what starts to happen. And if if you've been there... You know, you know, not bringing you up or anything, but you, you look a little older than 50, but, you know, not much, just barely, though. Yeah. You start to go, does everything matter that I thought mattered? Right? You start to look at your life and go, I think I missed some stuff. Man, I could have done that better. Why didn't I think of that? And you start to get a little bit, to be honest with you, a little sad. Not just because you're getting older, because you think, I may have wasted some stuff. My grandfather gave his life to Christ when he was 78 years old. Which I'm thankful for. But if we had to be honest, would we say he felt like he wasted his whole life? To some extent. Listen, here's what I want to tell you today. The free offer of salvation is on the table for you. Stop walking out the back door every week. Without it. You say, I don't want people to know. Is that worth going to hell over? It's a real place. I'm not up here to scare you. I know that sounds like I am, but if I could scare you out of it, somebody could scare you back into it or away from it. But as I started contemplating my own life, I want you to contemplate yours right now, wherever you are, whatever your life is like, you've given your life to Christ, then praise God, live like this. But if you haven't, you can today. We're going to have pastors who are going to be right here. Just come down and say, I need Jesus. And I'm telling you, we will help you come to that today. We can't do it for you, but we'll sure tell you how you can. If the Spirit of God's telling you that, that's not you thinking that. You're not that smart. The Holy Spirit of God's teaching you that. You need him. Jesus, thank you for teaching us what we need to know. For first of all, coming, dying on that cross, giving your life for us so that we could now have life. And God, everything else is icing on the cake. And we talk about these things we can know. Thank you for the confidence that we have in you because of what you did for us. Jesus, there's not anybody who could accomplish what you did. We know that. And I don't care what the world wants. I don't care what people say. 
You are the way to the Father. There is no other way. So today, Jesus, have your way among us. Lord, if someone in this room couldn't answer those questions with a yes, Lord, I pray they'd be convicted to the point where they do something about it today. Whether they make it public or not, I pray they'd tell somebody their need for you. And then I pray they'd give their lives to you. That will literally change them for eternity. Thank you for your grace in our lives. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name.